tonight, Bible study. If you would please take your hymn book out and turn to hymn number 188. Hymn number 188. Please stand and join me in singing Happiness is the Lord. Happiness is to know the Savior living a life within his favor, having a change in my behavior. Happiness is the Lord. Happiness is a new creation, Jesus and me in close relation, having a part in his salvation. Happiness number 215. Let's sing out hymn number 215. My Jesus, I love thee. and greet those around you tonight.
right, good to see everybody here. Um, I'm going to apologize one time for my voice. Uh, we've got a, a couple of announcements, and then we'll get um, uh, right on in everything tonight. Of course, continue to pray for the preacher as he's uh, uh, getting some well-deserved rest, and uh, pray for Mrs. Wiggins as well, and uh, really, really appreciate your prayers. At this time, let's go ahead and we'll take up some prayer requests. I would like to ask you, I was able this last Sunday, uh, we, we got out of church a little early and we went over to Daytona, Port Orange to see my mom. She's doing good. She had the first week of uh, radiation. We got through that pretty good. And I was also able to see my brother. Uh, he was down for a few days, the one that had the stroke and he's, he's doing okay but continue to pray for them uh, as well. And uh, do we have any other prayer requests that we can put out? Absolutely. Danny. Yeah, Emery gave me an update on her mom and uh, everything that's going on there as well. Continue to pray for that situation. Any others? Yes, ma'am. definitely continue to pray for um, that situation. Yes, Ms. Pam. those prayer requests. Also, a um, couple of quick announcements. We do have seniors breakfast tomorrow at Eagle Lake Diner at 8.15. Love to have you all come. And then, uh, of course, next week is um, chair volleyball again. And we're working on possibly something to do after that. Not next week, but uh, two weeks after that. Uh, Miss Charlotte was kind of filling my ear about something kind of neat that we, we might do with the seniors. So we'll look forward to that. All right, uh, ushers, if you want to come, we'll get ready to take up our offering.
forget to take a prayer prayer list home with you and take a look at it. Brother Randy, will you pray for the offering? Please take your hymn book out and turn to hymn number 218. Hymn number 218, let's stand. Sing a encouraging song called Living for Jesus. Please stand and join me in singing hymn number 218, Living for Jesus.
Again, it is good to see everybody here tonight. And uh, I want to say before we get started, a couple of a couple of comments. I want to first of all say, um, Brother Jeremy, I really appreciate the Sunday school hour. Uh, you filling in. It's been really, really good the last few weeks. Really enjoyed it, and appreciate uh, your knowledge of the Word of God and the teaching. Really, it's been been really good. Um, thank you for that. Good to see everybody here. And I'll tell you, this is the this is the important crowd, the ones who come out on Wednesday night, the ones who uh, uh, really kind of are the backbone of the church. And I know Pastor appreciates each and every one of you for being faithful. Um, I remember pastoring and um, for a few years, and, and that Wednesday night was kind of tough getting folks to come, but uh, we, we did pretty good, and we started getting a pretty good crowd coming on Wednesday night. And uh, really, really, uh, that was, that's an encouragement. I, I know from my end, as a pastor years ago, that was encouraging to me, seeing a good crowd on Wednesday night. And, uh, of course, we got the, the kids over in the, in the gym with Brother Tony. And, uh, man, I, I appreciate it. You know, he, he <clears throat> called me and he asked me, he said, look, he said, can you uh, take the service on Wednesday? He said, I really... He likes to be consistent with the young people and uh, doing the, probably the best job I've ever seen of a youth director and assistant pastor ever. And I said, sure, man, I'll, you know, anything. But um, appreciate him as well. Go ahead and uh, turn. We'll, we'll look in a couple of verses. I want to talk um, about the Word of God, the Bible itself tonight. It's, I guess, safe ground, if you will. Uh, I would never want to, whenever I've ever filled in for anybody, I've never, I, I haven't avoided uh, controversial subjects, but I haven't, I've never made it a point to, to really bring out a controversial subject, 
to somebody else's congregation, and I know it's 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 mine as well. I'm a member here, but uh, so I just I try to bring out subjects that, that can be a help and an encouragement. That's what we need. I mean, <laughs> let's face it. Every time we turn on the news, there's something even more crazy than we heard the last time. We don't even know what's. Um, I think it's. I think Target now, I think the last time I preached, I was talking about the beer company that was losing all kinds of money because of their craziness. Now Target in 10 days has lost $10 billion because they want to sell, I don't even know, what are they, girl swimming suits for boys or something? I don't know, just some crazy uh, craziness. But uh, so you never know. You, I mean, you turn on the news, you never know what you're going to hear. Uh, it just gets crazier. So this is kind of a, an island of sanity, and I believe I called it that last time. Kind of an island of sanity when we come together as God's people and get recharged for the week. I want to direct your attention to a couple of scripture. Normally I like to go verse by verse, and then sometimes I'll do topical things. This is kind of a mix of both, but of course the verse is in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and, uh, and then we'll look over at Joshua. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 8. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for these good folks. And Lord, we love being here. We love being with, with the folks here. We pray for our preacher right now, Miss Janice, as they're getting some rest and uh, getting strengthening. Uh, be with them uh, and help them to uh, get refreshed. Help as they come back to be all refreshed and renewed and rested up. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, probably one of the most uh, uh, well-known verses when it comes to the inspiration of the scriptures. And it said, now remember, well, first of all, before we quote this, we didn't have a, there wasn't a complete Bible yet. So this is kind of directed primarily towards the Old Testament, but then now it can be applied to the, because it says all scripture, it can be applied to the Old and New Testament together. But it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, uh, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let me give you a little side note of that verse and a little bit of a, you know, a lot of times uh, Satan knows that he can't do a frontal attack on the Word of God. So what does he do? He tries to imitate it. And there's all kinds of different Bibles out there, which creates all kinds of different confusion. But right here in this one, probably the most important verse on the inspiration of God, there's been a little bit of a, a little bit of attack. You say, what are you talking about? Well, some of you might have a, a, a King James Bible that says thoroughly furnished. But the word is actually throughly, and they do carry uh, two slightly different meanings. And um, what has happened is, if you, if you look up the uh, the conflict or the or the difference between these words, the attack is this: it's not necessarily because the words are similar, and they carry similar meanings, but there is a definite difference. But what you'll see when you Google throughly. It'll say it's an old archaic word and quite possibly a misspelling. Yeah, yeah. And so there's, 
a little bit of an attack there on one of the most important verses concerning the inspiration of the of the word of God, the word of God that we hold dearly. I mean, our, our faith is tied up in it. It gives us, and, and I'm going to touch on quite a few things tonight uh, that are tied up in the word of God. I could never exhaust it. You could take a million years and preach a, a million sermons and you'd never exhaust the word of God. You'd have uh, 30 billion more sermons to go. Uh, it's inexhaustible, which is uh, another unique thing about the word of God. But I just thought I'd share that with you. I, I learned that quite a bit. I, I, and I came across it. I thought I had found a, a misprint in the Bible when I, I had a Bible and it was, it said thoroughly. And a friend of mine pointed out, he said, well, that word is actually throughly. And there's a difference. And so I researched it a little bit and just thought it then. And that's how Satan works sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't come head on. He puts a little bit of doubt. Well, listen, he was described as subtle. And he uses subtlety to deceive Eve and uh, really wreak havoc on, on mankind. But I thought I'd share that with a very subtle attack on the perfect word of God in the English language. And then Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of, my, out of thy mouth, Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The only time that the word success is mentioned in the Bible. The only time. And I'm probably not saying that it's something that you haven't heard before. But yeah, it's tied in with the word of God and the principles of, of the word of God and applying the word of God to our lives. And uh, so I want to just look at some of the uh, ideas or some of the purposes and different things uh, concerning the Word of God. And first, of course, uh, the Bible, the purpose, the first one would be uh, to show creation. Of course, Genesis chapter 1 tells us how the universe and the world came into existence. Do you know if you, um, if you Google today, if you Google the universe, how the universe came into existence. You'll all you'll get all kinds of theories and that happened billions and billions and trillions. You might as well just put any number in there you want, because nobody knows, so they just say that. But we have a documented we have documented proof that God had created it um, under the uh, Moses under the inspiration of God penned down uh, the idea of uh, creation, and there were beings there right at time of creation or they were um, brought into the process of creation to human beings made in the image of God so we it, number one it, it shows us creation Genesis chapter 1 how the universe the world came into existence you know uh, some of the smartest people in the world can't buy into this don't believe it and so in my mind and I'm not a smart person at all but in my mind, if a person doesn't believe in God's account of creation, they're not that smart. They can have all kinds of degrees behind their names and, and, and you know, have all kinds of advanced study, but they've tied their belief system. And it is a belief system, by the way. Their belief system into a, uh, you know, uh, something that happened billions of years ago with a, I don't know, sometimes they say explosion, a big bang, whatever, sometimes this, and then, 
And then over millions, of course, millions of years, a little amoeba turned into a tadpole and climbed up on, you know, uh, some really, and then of course, we came from uh, uh, monkeys and evolved in over millions of years in the process of all of that. It's just crazy. And the thing about it, God's account of creation is spelled out. But the, uh, their idea of how we evolved, the, the, those who don't buy into the God's account of creation, can be changed on a whim. They run into a problem. They don't have to research it as much as they just change it. Just come up with another idea to change it, to, you know, to, that'll, so it'll work. But anyway, uh, Genesis 1 tells us, uh, creation tells us where we came from. We were created in the image of God. And that in and of itself is a very special thing to know. That's why human beings are different than the animal kingdom. We are different. I know sometimes we think our dogs and cats are part of the family, but they're not. I've never seen a dog pick up a hammer and, and nail something together. I just built a little platform in the backyard uh, last week, and the dog watched me the whole time. Didn't dare pick up a, a, a hammer or a, a power drill or anything. He just Sometimes he just laid down and watched me. Sometimes he didn't even watch me. Just stayed there. And then he'd go in the grass and roll around and scratch his back and come and bother me for a minute. And then, you know, not once did he help me. But he sure did want to get fed that night. He wanted water and things like that. But he never helped me build it. And I never asked him either. Um, you know, God made us different. We were made in his image and in his likeness. And he breathed into the, now, he didn't breathe into us the breath of life. But he breathed into Adam the breath of life, and that's what made him different than all the other creation. And so, where we came from, uh, where the animal kingdom came from, and I, I, I love watching animal shows. I love watching nature shows, and how animals uh, uh, act in their own habitat, and how they do certain things a certain way to survive. I think it's the neatest thing in the world, and how they look, and how that they're their, uh, the way they look and the way they're built or they're structured fits into their habitat. And, and there's some strange animals. I mean, there's some strange looking animals out there. I think it's the neatest thing in the world. You know? And God did that. God, you know, so we know that's where the animal kingdom came from. Um, we understand the existence of an eternal God and creator. Turn over real quick to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Um, we're not going to turn a lot, but we may once or twice. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Um, I'll find it here in a minute. There we go. In verse 27, it says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. God here is described as, number one, an eternal God with everlasting arms. God is eternal, and we understand that the existence of God is eternal. I, I mean, we can read that, and, and it can go into our finite, or, yeah, our limited minds, and we can trust that it's true, but honestly, we can't understand that. Eternity, think about eternity. We measure everything in our lives in time. 
you know, I got five minutes to do this. I got to be there in an hour. I got to be there next week. We're going on vacation this time. And everything is, is designed around time. You know, we measure time in our own lives. We have birthdays and anniversaries and all kinds of things. And we get proud that we can, you know, uh, able to spend 50 years with the same person, you know, and, and have a lot of birthdays and, and remember our kids and our grandkids' birth, birthdays. And everything's, uh, is surrounded, it's around time in our, in our lives. But God is eternal. And I guess, I mean, I, I don't know if this would happen for sure, but if you really tried to stop and just say, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm not going to stop thinking about this till I got it figured out. Try to sit down and think about eternity, it, it'd make your head explode You when you think about it. Because we can't understand it. We're finite beings. We will someday. And I guess that's one of the things that I look forward to more than anything, getting into heaven, is how eternity works and how God is eternal. Um, Revelation 23, 13, Jesus referred to himself as the Alpha and the Omega. Of course, we know that's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, meaning he's the beginning and he's the end. And before the beginning he was, and after the end he is. So there is no beginning and no end. He is the beginning and end. That, you know, that's, and that's the God that we serve. That's the God that's uh, God of our salvation and of our faith. And then we find out another thing that uh, the Bible re uh, reveals is the character of God. And I could go on and on about this. I think uh, um, I was a, a preacher I was reading about years ago, an old-timey preacher, and he, and he talked about or he preached a series of messages on the character of God. And he, uh, you know, he went for about a year, a year and a half, preaching messages about the character of God. And he just... At the end of it, he said, I have just scratched the surface of the character of God. But some, uh, uh, just a couple of highlights. God, first of all, obviously, is omniscient. Psalm 147, 55 says, great is the Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. His understanding is infinite. And we get a little glimpse of that when he talks about how the hairs on our head are numbered. And the days of our lives are numbered. He knows how many heartbeats we have. He, know how, he knows how many cells make up our body. He knows every single thing about us. And I, I suppose if you just, just take one individual and think about that concerning one individual, and that's probably billions, trillions of bits of information on one individual. And then multiply that by all the human beings that ever existed you know the billions that have existed I don't think there's a number that, that you could come up with that probably is I mean God probably knows a number I'm sure of bits of information about us as human beings that God holds and he can you know I mean we lose our keys four times a day and God can recall any of this at any time that's amazing I mean there's no uh, you can take all the computers in the world and put them all together and their capability of processing information. And that can't even come close to a, a billionth of the percentage of what God can do. 
You think about that all-knowing. He knows everything about everything. He's, he's uh, omniscient. Great power. His understanding is infinite. And then he's omnipotent. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So a glimpse of who God is and his power is the creation that he's given us. So when we see creation, that gives us an idea of the power, the omnipotence of who God is, which is amazing to me. And that's proof of his omnipotence. And then in uh, Revelation 19, verse 6, and I, and I heard, as it were, a voice of, of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He is proclaimed as omnipotent. I mean, we say he's omnipotent. We see verses and there's proof. But he's also proclaimed that the word omnipotent is used in the word of God to describe who God is. Omnipotent, all-powerful. And, you know, a lot of times we'll hear, and, you know, it's just the way we are as human beings. Well, if God is so powerful, why doesn't he do this? And, you know, those are good questions. But I know God knows the answer. I know that's, that sounds like a cop-out, but it really isn't. It, sometimes I think we think that God decides to, you know, something happens and then he, he makes the changes to fit with what happens. No, everything happens and he understands it. And it's all tied together, which is amazing. And I don't know how, you know, maybe we'll get a glimpse of that when we get to heaven. How God has held all this together. I mean, you think about it, the billions and billions of stars and God holds them in place. He set them in place, and they stay in, to the point where people can navigate by stars, can depend on them to be able to navigate. And there's billions of them. I mean, we're just one small galaxy uh, out of, who knows, billions, probably trillions of galaxies. And God holds them all together. But here's the... <laughs> here's the... Very unique thing. He has all that information, and he has all that power, but at the same time, he knows exactly who we are by name. He knows us personally. When you think about the fact that uh, when you got saved, you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Savior. You asked the creator of the universe who holds all information that ever was in his mind, you asked him to come into your heart and your life, and he did. And because of that, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have salvation. You are born again. Um, and you have a home in heaven. I go to prepare a place for you, the Lord said. Think about that. He was talking about heaven when he was down here on earth. He said, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. Um, can you imagine? I mean, I couldn't even. If God's building it, it's, it's perfect. Every, every corner is squared. I was joking with somebody the other day, this thing that I was working on. And because uh, I, I saw somebody else working on something, I said, oh, I, 
I'm building this. And I said, it's almost square. It's almost square. Maybe off just a little bit, less than an inch. <laughs> but God's squares are perfect. Every one of them. The billions of them, they're all perfect. Um, he's an omnipotent God. And then he's omnipresent. We've seen that demonstrated in the, in the Gospels. But also Colossians chapter 1, in verse 17, it says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So he's everywhere all the time. I mean, <laughs> let's come up with another demonstration. What if every believer in this world decided they're going to pray for five minutes all at the same time? I mean, we're talking maybe billions of people, at least in the hundreds of millions of true believers, all praying at the same time for five minutes. We're talking about millions, possibly billions of moments of prayer. And God hears. And he's, and he's at that, in that person's presence at that time. And this person over here, all of them at the same time. I mean, when we start to look at God like that, that should be one of the greatest encouragements that we have in our lives. That should be something that makes us want to keep going. I know there's discouragement. Believe me, I've, I've suffered it. And there's discouraging things at times. And, 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 you know, that's just the way this old sin-cursed world is. There are bad things that happen, and there are bad things that sometimes happen to us. We get sidetracked. We get knocked off, uh, off the trail. Uh, you know, our walk gets sidetracked because of this or that. We wonder if God even knows that we exist. We wonder if he's even close to us. All those things go through our, our minds, our, our, you know, because we still have that, uh, you know, that sin nature. We have the reminder of it. But the truth is, none of that is true. He's there every moment. I, uh, there's no moments for him. He is there all the time. Every time. He was there when Jesus was on the cross. And for that moment in time, as far as I can understand it, he had to turn his back on his own son. The Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I don't know how that, talk about, I don't know how that could be, but I know it had to be for our salvation. So he's, uh, he's omnipresent. Let me see where, where we are. Okay. Yeah. And then the word of God tells us about the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3, we see the picture of the fall of man. God set in place a rule for Adam and Eve. Satan in his subtlety came, the serpent, and he deceived her. Yea, hath God said, he put a question mark in her mind, how that happened in the perfect environment, I don't know. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if it was a perfect environment, how could she make that mistake? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, 
you get in line with me and we'll, we'll ask God when we get to heaven. Maybe we'll ask Eve, Eve, why'd you do that? You had a perfect, you had a perfect situation. Why? We know why Adam did. You know, he just followed after Eve. But Eve, why, how, were you, how did you let the, the serpent deceive you? How did you do that? Why? I mean, you had perfect health. You had a perfect environment. You had perfect everything. So we'll get in line and ask her, and then, and then the Lord will reveal it, and it'll be the perfect answer. He'll show us, he'll take a terrible thing, and he'll show us the perfect answer as to why it took place. And so Genesis chapter 3 and, and about verse 6 gives us the, the uh, you know, Eve being deceived and, and eating the fruit. Whether it was an apple or not, who knows? You know, a lot of people like to say that. Some kind of forbidden fruit, so to speak. And then the fallen nature. And then, of course, Adam followed suit. And they were cursed as a result of that. Uh, they weren't necessarily kicked out of the garden immediately, but then they were expelled from the garden. And it still exists somewhere on this earth. It's guarded. It's somewhere, but it still exists. That's a tremendous study in and of itself, by the way. Um, and all of us in here, no matter our ethnic background, we're all descendants of these two. We can trace. I just I sometimes tell people, oh, yeah, I can go all the way back to Ireland. I, I can go all the way back to Adam and Eve. I go all the way back to the folks on, on Noah's Ark. And then back further to Adam and Eve. We can all go back to that. That's uh, if you're a human being, um, unless you're a lizard person, I don't know, you know. But uh, if you're a human being, um, you can trace yourself right back to Adam and Eve, where they're children. So in that in that respect, we all share that same human bond, and we also inherited that sin nature. We have that sin nature now. Um, and it's been passed on to us. And then why we sin, according to the word of God. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul uh, when he describes this. He says, for that which I do, I allow not. This is the Apostle Paul, now probably the greatest Christian to ever walk on two feet. He said, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more that I do it, no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, and then he's got it in parentheses, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And then he goes on to call it, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And then, of course, he, once again, like how God, how, how we look at a bad situation, but God can explain why this situation happened the way it is. He says, Who shall deliver me? Of course, he comes back around to the Lord Jesus Christ. But 
Look at this conflict of mind that the Apostle Paul has. He's conflicted because he says, look, I know what's right. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I remember what happened on the road to Damascus. I remember the conversion. I remember at one point I was going to kill Christians. Now I am one. And Christ did all that. He changed me on the inside. I'm converted. I'm born again. And I know what's right. But sometimes I can't do it. And I know what's wrong. And sometimes I can't avoid that. And he, and, and he, it's all, you can almost sense human frustration in what he's saying. How he's very frustrated. I wish I could do And then there were times when he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And there were times where he believed he'd be, you know, he was, he was more profitable for God here on earth, but he really wanted to be in heaven. And uh, sometimes we, we feel that way as well. And so he was conflicted, uh, you know, and then not to mention all of his uh, physical woes that he dealt with and physical uh, ailments and things of that nature and the persecution that he suffered and the rejection that he suf suffered from his own fellow countrymen, uh, those that he grew up with and learned with and how they reject, all of those things. But he says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh. Now, there are some that believe that in this life you can obtain a uh, complete and total sinless perfection. I'm not in that train. I'm not in that club. You, uh, you know, we're going to have it with us. And maybe it's a good thing. It reminds us how much we need the Lord. Maybe it's a good thing that uh, when we are tempted... We can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. God help us with this temptation. Do we always turn to him? No, but we can. Maybe that's a good thing. But I know that, uh, I mean, there are some, I'm sure, that uh, walk with the Lord and probably sin a little bit less than a lot of us. But I'll tell you this. Some of their slightest, maybe even the wrong, tiny wrong thought about somebody that nobody would ever know about. Because they walk with God, they're so convicted about that, so tremendously convicted that they want to, you know, want to ask for forgiveness right away and keep that account fresh with God and keep, uh, keep, keep the ledger uh, even, balanced, unlike our, our country's budget, but that's another story altogether. Um, but uh, he said, well, that is in my flesh, well, it's no good thing. For the will is present with me. And he's saying, look, I know what I have to do. And I know what's right. But there's the conflict within me. And so that's why we sin. It's not an excuse. It's a reason. It doesn't give us a And it doesn't mean that we can just bust out of here and, and you know, get, go live a, a sinful life. I mean, I'm sure this week. We're going to fail. We're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, have the wrong thought, maybe react the wrong way, um, especially if you get in Orlando traffic. Boy, I'll tell you what, that'll, that'll, that'll uh, test your metal a little bit there. Um, we are going to do that. That's, 
that we have that reminder of that sin nature. Now, thank God that when he, if, if death takes us or we're raptured out of here, we don't have to deal with that anymore. Thank God. That's going to be eradicated or whatever. It's going to be gone. And we do have eternal security. And I know that's probably, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, Christian folks, and I think some good Christian folks, who have been brought up on the belief that you can forfeit or lose your salvation. Um, but no, I mean, we didn't do anything to get it. We, you know, God did it all. So we can't lose it. You know, it would be like saying, okay, I'm going to change my name and maybe even change my looks a little bit, but I can't change the DNA that I got from my mom and dad. I'm part of their family, you know. Um, things can happen, change my name, whatever, but I'll always be part, I'll always have that DNA, which is another reason you don't mess with what's going on with the, the trans stuff and all that craziness. But that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. Um, the existence of evil in the heart of men. There is evidence throughout humanity, uh, throughout all humanity, in history, in the history of humanity, of the of the um, evil in the heart of man. Wars, murders, thievery, envy, pride, uh, man's propensity to sin. Ephesians chapter four talks four twenty two talks about the old man that's corrupt. Romans talks also about that. Romans 6 and verse 6 talks about the body of sin. And then Colossians 3, 9 tells us not to lie because we put off the old man with his deeds. We're told not to lie. Why? Because we're going to lie sometimes. But we're supposed to put that off. We're supposed to put that old man off with his deeds according to Colossians chapter 3. Um, and then in, in Galatians 5 and verse 19 and 21, it gives you the whole checklist of the, the deeds of the flesh, envy, pride, all of them, murderings, envies, all of them. There's a whole bunch there in uh, Galatians 5 verses 19 through 21. But then, brighter side, we see the redemption of man. And if you go, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to turn one more time, and we're, we're almost out of here. One more time back to Genesis chapter 3. And I think this is probably one of the most encouraging verses there are. Genesis chapter 3. Of course, we know this is after Adam and Eve had sinned and God had discovered them. He knew where they were. He didn't have to, he didn't have to ask where they were. He knew where they were, and he was asking. But then he says this. He says in verse, we'll start in verse 13, and the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? He knew what she did, you know. It's kind of like when you come across, come across your, when your kids are small and they've gotten into something and uh, maybe gotten into, made a mess of somehow, and I'm sure something has popped, popped in your mind when your kids were small, got into, you know, got mud all over them and came in the house and got it all over the house or, you know, colored all over the walls or got in the paint or whatever and you come in and say what have you done well you you can see what they did you can see the mess that was made or you know they got or they've got cookie all over their face and all over the floor and all over the counter and the table what have you done well you can see what they did that's exactly what god was doing here with eve he said what is it thou hast done and the woman said the serpent it, it was him he made me do it 
the serpent beguiled me. And, and I did eat. See, I, I mean, boy, humanity really hadn't changed much. And then it says, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. And there's some theories about that as well that are kind of neat to study. Now here's the key verse. This is where we get an indication of God's plan of salvation all the way back in Genesis. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed Satan's seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. A bruise on a heel is a, is a wound that can heal, so to speak. H-E-A-L. I guess that's how you spell it. But a, a, a head wound is a death wound. And so what he's saying is you're going to lose. She's going to win. And that's the first indication of God's plan of salvation. And then you run it, run it up several thousand years later, and then here comes uh, God manifested in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, like the scripture says, and, and has to go through, uh, live 30 years in a three-year ministry, falsely accused, beaten, shamed, nailed to a cross, becoming sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so... There you have it. That's the start of the redemptive process. And, of course, one of the most famous verses, I, um, I listened to this yesterday, and I thought this, this was kind of neat. John 3.16, and, of course, everybody can quote that. I was, uh, I was watching a video of Tim Tebow, and he was sharing his testimony. And he was talking about the year that they played in the national championship, but they had to play Alabama in order to get to the national championship. And up to that point, and throughout the playoffs and towards the end of the season, he had that eye black with Philippians 4.13. And he said, you know, before the night of the champ or the day before the championship, he wanted to, he said, the Lord kind of spoke to me. I wanted to put John 3.16 instead of the Philippians 4.13. And he said, I, uh, and, and he said he was in the hotel room with his mom and dad. And he said, I think I'm going to do that. And his dad was like, you better talk to Coach Meyer first. And he went on to say how Coach Urban Meyer was just this very superstitious about everything. You know, and so had Tim Tebow's dad said, well, you better, you better talk to your coach because you've had that on there. And you know how he is about if we, there, you know, if we won with these kind of socks on, we're going to wear them in the next game and things of that nature. And so he said in their walkthrough, day before the game, he walked up to Coach Meyer and he said, Coach, he said, you know, I know I've been wearing Philippians 4.13 under my eye black, and it's really gotten a lot of recognition. He said, but I think I'm going to put John 3.16. He said, Coach Marsha, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. That we, We've gotten this far with that verse on there. You've got to leave that one. He said, no, Coach, I, I, really think, I really think I should put that. And so finally, Coach Meyer said, okay, you, you go ahead and put that on there. And they went and won the game. But... Um, he said later that week he was at dinner with his parents and Coach Meyer. And Coach Myers had gotten a call from somebody in their um, uh, communications department or I don't know what you call it. And they said that they had got information that after that game, I think there were 96 million searches of John 316 
on the internet, something like that, some just crazy number of John 3.16. And I thought that was kind of a neat thing. But John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That, in a nutshell, is, is the, is the um, uh, process of, of, of salvation. And the final judgment, another thing the Bible reveals, the final judgment and destruction of man and this planet. Boy, we hold on to this planet awful tight. It's just all going to burn up. And then a new eternal existence for the redeemed. And then finally, it shows us the love of God. Talk about loving the unlovely. If we could, I think sometimes a good thing to do is just bask in the love of God and understand that it's an unconditional love. You say, what do you mean? Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't have salvation if it wasn't unconditional. Because God loved the unlovely. How? I don't know. How was he able to give his perfect son for the sins of mankind? I don't know. I know I'm a beneficiary of it, and you are too if you're born again. But, and we see it demonstrated in Romans uh, chapter 5 and verse 8. And then one that I, I, I think I told a, a pulpit lie. I said I was only going to have you turn one more time. One more time, and then we'll be done. First, first John chapter 3. This is a really unique verse to think of. First John is filled with the love of God, and I'm just going to share this with you real quick, and then we'll be done. I won't have you turn anymore. I promise this time. First John chapter 3 and about verse 1. Behold, and I could have quoted it, but I, I want to read it proper. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world, world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. That's why the world doesn't respect Christianity and doesn't respect God and Jesus Christ. They don't know him. Sometimes we get frustrated that they, people scoff at Christianity. you got to remember now, I mean, we've got it pretty good. There, down through the history of Christianity, there are Christians that have been torn asunder, have been crucified, have been uh, beheaded for the word of God and for Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ, tortured, uh, burned at the stake, on and on and on. And it still goes on in some places in the world today. Uh, it does. And so the world does not know Jesus Christ. The world does not know God. That's why there's a, that um, animosity towards, towards Christians. But it's a secret love. And you and I share it with the Lord. And it's his love imparted to us. All right, we'll stop there. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you, Lord God, for uh, what you mean to us. Thank you. Uh, be with our pastor and, and uh, Miss Janice as they're getting some rest and relaxation. Help us as we go throughout the rest of the week, and we look forward to a great day Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. I tell you what, let's stand. Um, if we can just play maybe one verse of, uh, of uh, an invitation song will play a verse and if you'd like to if you'd like to come forward in prayer if you'd like to uh, stand in your in your uh, seat and pray that'd be fine as well so we'll play a verse